welcome to episode 3 of the Vexillogicast. From the city of firsts, I'm Simon the Cannibal. On today's episode, we'll be talking about the flag of the United Kingdom and some of its variants. At this point, I suspect you already know that show notes and discussion can be found on vexillogicast.com, that is V-E-X-I-L-L-O-G-I-C-A-S-T dot com, and reddit.com slash r slash Simon the Cannibal. And I should point out that for those of you who are asking to see pictures of these flags, as this is a podcast, the pictures of the flags do exist on vexillogicast.com, where you can view the show notes and see the flags and a little bit more discussion about the flags than is covered in this podcast. It is my understanding that there exists technology which would allow me to change the cover image of this podcast periodically through the podcast such that I could highlight the flag I'm talking about. But, as this is a podcast, I suspect you're listening to it while doing something else like driving, and I wouldn't want you to be looking at flags while you're driving. So, once again, if you're listening to this in front of your computer or something like that, I recommend you go to vexillogicast.com, that is again, V-E-X-I-L-L-O-G-I-C-A-S-T dot com, to see images of the flags that we're talking about in this episode. In this case, however, I suspect that you are more than familiar with the Union flag. Now, about the Union flag, and I should point out that it is the Union flag. To call it the Union Jack relegates its use to ships at port. It's a pedantic detail, I know, but what am I if not a pedant? I won't ever correct you on this, but I will always refer to the Union flag as the Union flag, not as the Union Jack, unless it is hanging off the bow of a ship at port. For the record, ensigns fly off the main mast or wherever on a ship at sea, and we'll definitely see more of them in a few minutes. But yes, the Union flag. The Union flag is actually three attributed flags, that is, flags that a historical person didn't actually use, but are used to represent that historical person nonetheless. Uh, The three flags that comprise the current Union flag are the flags of St. George, St. Andrew, and St. Patrick, representing, respectively, England, Scotland, and Ireland. The construction of the Union flag is the three flags overlaid one on top of the other. You can definitely see St. Andrew's flag making a base coat for the rest of the flag. St. Andrew's flag is a blue flag with a white saltire. That is, again, an X across it, stretching from corner to corner. Not entirely over that, but if one were to paint this, you would paint red on one of the stripes, is the flag of St. Patrick, which represents Ireland. The flag of St. Patrick is actually a white field with a red saltire, again an X, stretching from corner to corner, and it is much thicker than what you see on the Union flag. The Union flag, in its construction, was meant not to show St. Patrick on top of St. Andrew, but rather has them as equals. Half of the narrow band is a red stripe with a white fimbriation. The other half of the diagonal is a white stripe with a white fimbriation. You can actually see this in the construction sheets, which I will link to again on vexillogicast.com. Finally, over top of those is the flag of St. George, which is a white flag with a red cross on it. And you'll note the red cross goes through the other two flags with the fimbriation, that is the white strips around the red cross so it's not touching anything. 
whether you interpret this as this just makes for a nice flag design or some supremacy of England over Ireland and Scotland, that's your call. There were Scottish nationalists that took it as this and in fact sewed a Scottish Union flag that has St. Andrew's saltire over top of St. George's cross. The astute among you may ask, where's Wales? But unfortunately for them, they were solidly under the English crown before flags were used in a mainstream way, and therefore are represented by the English St. George's flag. For the record, speaking of the Welsh, there are two flags one can use to represent Wales, most commonly a white over green horizontal bicolor defaced with a red dragon passant, that means uh, one leg up. So again, a red dragon on top of a white stripe and a green stripe. But also, thematically, if one were to try and add St. David's flag to the Union flag, it would be a black flag with a yellow cross. Anyhow, back to the Union flag. And I should say the St. Pat's saltire creates a kind of pinwheel effect, so there is a right side up and an upside down on the Union flag. And it's very funny to see pictures of politicians standing in front of an upside-down Union flag, which has on occasion meant help or distress. You'll know it's upside-down as the top left corner should have white over red. So touching the hoist the closest to the top left in the canton, way up there, the red should be touching the hoist and the white should be up against the sky. And the rest of it pinwheels around. However, if you've been paying attention to this podcast previously, there was a precursor flag to this that came into existence in 1606 with the Union of the Crowns of England and Scotland under James VI. This left out St. Patrick's Saltire, the, the red X, and instead was just the white and blue St. Andrew's Saltire and the red and white St. George's Cross. And this was in use for almost 200 years. Again, this was used in 1606, to represent all joint naval vessels, hence the use of the term jack to refer to it. Uh, again, a, a jack is a naval term. In 1707, under Queen Anne, the flag was adopted to represent Great Britain as a whole, as a nation. Again, this is the very beginning of the rise of nation-states. And again, the 1707 flag is the one without the red saltire. This is the flag that is in the canton of the Grand Union flag of the United States that we covered in episode one. In 1801, following an Irish revolt, which included the invasion of Ireland by France in order to liberate their Catholic brethren, the Irish received greater political liberties and were reassessed as a constituent partner of the UK and were added to the flag, again represented by St. Patrick making this the flag of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland, uh, now Northern Ireland, which is the flag we have today, which has been in use for over 200 years. So, let's go to sea. The saying goes, the sun never sets on the British Empire, and the largest empire on Earth required the largest navy to keep its colonies safe, and the largest merchant marine to keep them supplied. This meant a lot of flags. Now, I fear I have a bit of speculation, but I warned you that you might encounter some speculation in this podcast. That being said, the rise of red, white, and blue ensigns, which are flags of those respective colors with the Union flag in the canton. Again, that's the top left area. Anyhow, the red, white, and blue ensigns were probably an economic necessity. I suspect it was much cheaper 
to sew a, a small union flag and stitch it on a single color cloth, like a red cloth or a blue cloth, or a white ensign is actually a, a cross of St. George on a white cloth, then it would be to stitch a full-size union flag for every ship at sea. And we'll definitely get back to more about these red, white, and blue ensigns. Occasionally the red ensign is called the red duster. You may hear that in a moment. The cloth issue comes up again as the standard width of bunting, that is the cloth used to make a flag, changed over the years. Again, this has been 400 years that the UK has basically had the same or a very similar flag. And thereby, the availability of bunting changes the dimensions of the flags. <clears throat> For example, the Union flag, as used by the British military, uh, the British Army, I should say, is actually three by five. That is, for every three feet tall, it is five feet long. The Union flag that represents the whole of the UK is one to two. That is, it is twice as long as it is tall. The difference is quickly noted when looking at the red diagonals. If they have a little spear point, that is, three obvious angles, uh, when they get close to the center, the flag is actually not one to two, but is some smaller dimension. If it does come to a clean point and there are only two obvious angles, that flag is in fact of the correct dimensions to represent the UK, which is one to two. The availability of bunting and the availability of fabric dictating the dimensions of flags is not unique to the United Kingdom flag, but rather is the origin of the very strange 10 to 19 dimensions, the US flag. That is, for every 10 feet high a U.S. flag is, it must be 19 feet long. For a long time, the United States flag's dimensions were not fixed. Rather, they were relative to the width of bunting. So, I forget exactly what it is, but I believe it was 2 yards of fabric per width of bunting. Such that if the bunting was 1 yard wide, it would have the dimensions of 1 by 2. If the bunting was 34 inches, if it was 38 inches, the dimensions changed. As it stands, it is my understanding that the U.S. flag was standardized at a time when bunting generally came in at 38 inches wide. So 2 yards, that is 72 inches, divided by 38 inches is a ratio slightly, slightly below 10 to 19, which again is the official ratio for the United States flag. Anyhow, back to the United Kingdom's flag. The availability of monocolor fabrics on which could be stitched the Union flag, made these ensigns some of the most common, and therefore most riffed on in the world. The red ensign, or the red duster, and that again is a red flag with just a Union flag in the canton, is the basis of a number of flags, including the first American flag, the Grand Union flag we covered in episode one, and the first Canadian flag, which I should probably give an episode to the Canadian flag because that has a very cool history, as well as the Indian flag, and several, several others. The blue ensign, which is a darker blue, is the obvious basis of the Australian and New Zealand flags, and several others. There are dozens, possibly scores of flags based off the British ensigns, but I wanted to switch gears for a moment and highlight a moment of irony, which I think will round out this episode. To start this process, let us recall that vexillology is often considered a subdiscipline of heraldry. These are cloth versions of metal shields. With the rise of the nation-state, and the downfall of knights going individually into battle, the flag became a symbol of a nation. 
So this is a piece of cloth that now represents a nation. After the rise of the nation state, you have the rise of air forces, obviously coming in after 1903. Now, you have an airplane singly going out, dogfighting or whatever, and it needs to show to which air force it belongs. Unlike with a ship, you cannot fly a flag from an airplane. So in order, in order to identify planes, we began to paint standardized roundels on planes for visual identification. Instead of going back to traditional heraldic representations of nations, the nations often painted a shorthand symbol for their flag on the airplanes. So, for example, the British roundel was a blue circle with a smaller white circle with a smaller red circle. So these would be painted on planes. I'm sure you've seen them if you've ever seen a World War I plane. Uh, similarly, the World War I United States roundel was blue with a white star in the middle. So now we have a roundel to represent a flag to replace a shield for the nation state, or a coat of arms for the nation state. The funny irony of this is that the United Kingdom's Air Force uses its roundel on its flag. So you have a flag with a roundel, which was meant to replace the flag, which is meant to replace a shield. I think it's pretty funny. The flag, though, I do have to say is very nice, and this is a blue ensign that is sky blue because it's an Air Force ensign. I'm not exactly certain how I'm doing on time, so I'll wrap it up here and hope for the best. I hope you've learned something today. And again, I encourage you to go to vexillogicast.com, that is V-E-X-I-L-L-O-G-I-C-A-S-T dot com, to see images of the flags that I mentioned on this podcast. Assuming the audio came out okay, next week's episode will be an interview where we'll be discussing the Puerto Rican flag, a little bit of its history, and a little bit more. Best wishes from the Vexillogicast. Cast. <laughs>